Psalm 71:23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed. Hey, welcome to New City Online. I'm Ron. And I'm Tammy. And this is my Christmas sweater. And hey, there are only five days until Christmas. Can you believe that? Well, welcome to New City Online. We are so glad that you're here today. And if you're new, we want to say a special welcome to you. And we want to get to know you. And the way that we do that is through our online connect form. Go to newcity.us slash connect. Fill out that online connect form. Or you can text us at the number below. And as Tammy just said, there are only five days until Christmas, and we're super excited about all things Christmas here at New City. We put together a website with all the information. It's christmasatnewcity.us. You can go there to find out service times and locations, as well as more information about our Christmas Serve offering. And our Christmas Serve offering this year will benefit three amazing organizations in our city and in our world. And for the last two weeks, you've learned about two of those organizations, Crisis Assistance Ministry and the Matthews Help Center. And today we'll learn about manna nutrition. And if you want to give to the Christmas Serve offering, you can do that by going to newcity.us slash give and dropping down the fund tab and choosing Christmas Serve Offering. Now let's join a conversation between Ron and Mark from Man and Nutrition. Hey, New City family. Welcome. I'm Ron. I'm the online pastor here. I'm joined today by Mark from Man and Nutrition. So Mark, tell us a little bit about Mana. What do you guys do? So at Mana, we make these little packets of peanut butter. They're called ready-to-use therapeutic food. And it is like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a glass of milk, a Flintstone vitamin, all crammed into one packet. Okay. And aid workers use them in places like Somalia, uh, toughest places in the world where they're frontline defense against severe acute malnutrition. Okay. So kids who are malnourished aren't just hungry. They've ceased to be hungry because of the deficiencies that they face. Mm. So the, this is kind of a medicine-type food hybrid that, uh, that gets to them and, and saves their lives. Wow. Okay. So you guys are not just a local organization. This is our global partner here. Tell us a little bit about that. How, how many countries are you guys in and where are you guys serving right now? Yeah, so we happen to be, we have a headquarters here in Matthews. Uh, it's where about four or five of us are, but we have a plant, a factory that we uh, were fortunate to build. We raised money and built it down in Georgia, in South Georgia, where the peanuts are. And um, we are in about 40 different countries. Uh, basically every country where the UN is, where there's a troubled area. If you look at uh, Sub-Saharan Africa and then look at the Sahel region, that band right across the center of Africa where you have hunger issues, uh, we're in every one of those countries. So Wow. Wow. So tell us a little bit about 2020. 2020 has been a tough year. How has COVID and this whole year, how has that impacted you guys and your organization? Yeah. Anybody watching this can just Hopefully not get out their phone in church, but get out your phone sometime and just Google uh, 2020 hunger impact. And it's mm. it's serious. So we've had the first setback. Um, I was just on a call in the last uh, 48 hours with uh, UN, a bunch of suppliers to the UN, talking about uh, we've been marching forward against global hunger. And now we're taking a step back in 2020, a pretty big step back. So they're looking at probably the worst year uh, in the last 20 years. So in many of our, our lifetimes or in Many of the young people who listen to this in their lifetimes, this is the worst year that we are going to face for hunger. Um, and again, if you think of hunger as, um, you know, maybe this big table we're sitting at, and 
but severe acute malnutrition is one little tiny section of it. So it might be as big as a penny or something, but it's very strategic that uh, you need to kind of knock out that. It's almost like a terror cell, like you would try to knock out that terror cell because severe acute malnutrition uh, will kill more kids than AIDS, more than TB, more than malaria, more than COVID, more than all of those combined times four. So that'll give you an idea of the impact. Uh, it's the number one killer of kids in the world, uh, right up there with you know access to fresh water and things like that. Do you have a story from this past year of a family or an individual that you guys have helped and assisted? Yeah, I was just looking at my calendar driving over here that a year ago today, I was in Khartoum um, in Sudan, and we're a supplier to the World Food Program there. And we get a chance to go um, out into uh, rural communities there and to see it being deployed. It, we have a window for kids who are under six. And if you miss that window, it's too late. Mm. It's as simple as that. You, you have to hit that window. Uh, and if you hit that window, they go on, they get a good life, uh, and they're generally okay. But if you miss it, we're in trouble. So the stories I have are uh, not dramatic things that we've done. We just make the stuff. But the opportunity to get that in the hands of practitioners, um, which is what your money will do, get it in the hands of people like Samaritan's Purse, uh, people who, uh, and this is what's cool with New City to me as a partnership is it's a chance. We're always dealing with the UN and with WFP, which is the World Food Program. Um, great people, secular people, but to get this in the hands of frontline people like Samaritan's Purse and World Vision and others who are running these nutrition programs, uh, it means you have people who are concerned about being the hands of Christ, actually caring and meeting these physical needs and helping, helping these kids who are in vulnerable situations. Well, Mark, on behalf of the whole New City family, I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing, and thanks for your, your work here in Matthews and, and around the world. We're honored to partner with you guys. Merry Christmas! Let's worship together.
Sing this out. Worthy of every song we could ever sing.
God, thank you, Lord, for being the only firm foundation. God, I pray that everybody listening to my voice right now begins to build their life again upon your foundation and to follow after you and develop a stronger relationship with you. God, I pray that you bless this service in Jesus' name. Bless this service and bless us, Lord. Amen. I remember years ago being a fireman and it was a bright sunny day and we were dispatched to a house fire. Had been through this several times before and, and but on this particular day, on this particular day, I was assigned to the second engine on scene, which simply means that our responsibility was to take a line, a hose line above the fire to protect from fire extension and to make sure that nobody was upstairs. Now, this fire was on the first floor in the back of the house in the kitchen area. And I'll never forget when, as uh, soon as we made entry into the house, me and the gentleman I was with, right after we hit the stairs, it got dark fast. And I mean pitch black. Thick, black, heavy smoke was everywhere. It was everywhere. It wasn't long before me and the guy that I was with got separated. All I remember was making it to the top of the stairs and I made a left. At this point, I didn't know where this guy was. We were trying to, to stay in voice contact, but I had no clue where he was. And so I made a left and shortly after making a left at the top of the stairs, I found myself in what I believe to be a confined space. And after a few minutes of, of feeling around, I started to ask myself, how in the world did I get in this place? And more importantly, how was I gonna get out of here? After a few moments of unsuccessfully trying to navigate my way out of the space, the darkness began to have an effect on me. I was beginning to lose hope. Now, not only had the darkness disoriented me, it had discouraged me. Fear was beginning to creep in and I felt trapped. Have you ever been in a dark place like this? See, because I was not just in a dark space physically, but I was in a dark space on the inside. And I can imagine that many of us are familiar with what this feels like, either emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, where we feel hopeless, discouraged, or even trapped. And so for me, as I reflect on 2020, I came to realize that this year has probably been a dark year for many of us in many ways. But what I'm learning is that while God is certainly concerned about the darkness in the world we live in, he's more concerned about the darkness in our lives. And I believe that the key to you and I understanding this lies in how we identify with him. And so over the last several weeks, we've been asking and answering the question, what child is this? Because understanding this can change everything. Two weeks ago, we learned about Christ as the Lion of Judah. And last week, we talked about him as the Lamb of God. But today, we'll discuss him as the light of the world. So if you have your Bible handy, I want you to turn with me to John chapter number 8. We're going to focus on verse number 12. The scripture should also be preloaded for you on the New City app along with the, 
sermon outline, but as you're making your way there, let me give you just a little bit of context to the book of John here. Now, unlike the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that focused on what Jesus taught and what Jesus did, John focuses more on who Jesus is. And John shows us who Jesus is by highlighting seven miracles or signs that Jesus does. And you may remember we did a sermon series on this earlier in the year entitled The Miraculous Seven, where we discussed these signs in detail. Now, if you haven't had a chance to, to check out that series, I would strongly encourage that you do. But John also shows us who Jesus is by giving us Jesus's own words of himself as expressed in seven I am statements. Seven I am statements. Additionally, as Pastor Chris mentioned last week, John's gospel was written for a specific purpose, that we might believe and that we might have. And a key verse for understanding the gospel of John is found at the end of the book, John chapter 20, verse 31, which says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so as we begin to talk about Jesus as the light of the world, it's important to note that light is one of the first images that John gives us of Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. So if you have John chapter number 8, permit me to give a little bit of context to what's going on here, and hopefully we'll see the gravity in, in how we see Jesus respond. And this will also help to set us up with where we're ultimately going to land today in verse number 12. So chapter 8 begins with Jesus teaching in the temple and with a familiar story of a woman in a dark place, a woman caught in the act of adultery. If you're familiar with the story, the scribes and the Pharisees bring the woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus, and they say, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What do you say? And then the scripture says in verse 6 that they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus sees right through their trap. Jesus responds by saying, let him who is without sin among you throw the first stone at her. Then the scripture says, when they heard it, they went away one by one. And I love this. Jesus then says to the woman in part, has no one condemned you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus sees through the trap of the religious leaders because he knows that their claim is not about morality. It's about illegality. And even in that, it falls short because in those days, the evidence required to convict the woman or anyone else of such an act required two eyewitnesses, meaning that two separate people must witness the act and both conclude that the togetherness of the couple was of an adulterous nature. Also, Jesus knows that the law expected that if a person witnessed another about to commit a sin, that passion required them to speak up. These witnesses didn't do that, thus neglecting their moral obligation to give guidance to the couple that were in sin. Why? Because they wanted to catch her and use her to trap Jesus. And here's another thing that Jesus knows. If they were really trying to be righteous, then where was her lover? Where was he? Why was he excused from this accusation? 
Now, why did, I say, why did I say this? I say this because Jesus knows that all of this reveals that the woman is not the only one in a dark place here. So is the witnesses and the religious leaders because their motivation was simply to trap Jesus by entrapping the woman in sin. Now, there are two areas of darkness here that Jesus, as the light of the world, deals with. One, the hearts of the religious leaders and the witnesses, and two, the actions of the woman. Now, I don't want you to miss how he deals with them here. He deals with the hearts of the religious leaders with truth. When he says, let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone at her. Because he knows that none of them are without sin, just like none of us are without sin. And then he deals with the actions of the woman with grace. When he says, go and sin no more. And guess what, family? He uses the same things to deal with the darkness in our lives today. Truth and grace. What child is this? Jesus, the light of the world. So now let's dive into John chapter number 8 and look at verse 12 here. The word of God to you today. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is such a powerful scripture here, such a powerful scripture. And this is an emphatic statement that Jesus makes. This is an emphatic statement. Notice that he says, I am the light of the world. Not I was, not I will be, but I am the light of the world. And now I want to highlight for us today three things that we see in this verse. We see a proclamation when he says, I am the light of the world. We see a promise when he says, will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And before our time together is over, we'll take a look at what I believe is the bridge between the proclamation and the promise. And that's our participation. So let's take a look here now at the proclamation. Jesus again says, I am the light of the world. Now this was prophesied by Isaiah 700 years prior to this moment in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 when he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. So this was prophesied long before this moment. Now in order for us to understand the magnitude of the statement here by Jesus, it's helpful to know the setting. What was going on in this time was that there was, this was the final day of the Feast of Booths or the, fest, the festival rather of the tabernacles. And Jesus takes up imageries from the Jewish celebration to use them in order to make clearer his identity as the Messiah and God's son and to help them understand what they're experiencing and how he's the fulfillment of it. Now, the Jewish imagery that Jesus is capitalizing on for this specific teaching here is the theme of light. Now, this is important because light was an important part of the Festival of Tabernacles. The Jews celebrated with a light ceremony where they would have 16 golden bowls that were filled with oil and lit at night, and the majority of the city would be illuminated because in those days, they didn't have public lighting after dusk. 
And I brought a few pictures with me uh, so you can get a glimpse of, of, of what this scene looks like. And as you can see, this scene was absolutely amazing. This scene was amazing. So in the middle of this scene, in the middle of this spectacular scene, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. And he's making this proclamation from the temple, which was the gathering location for the festival. And this included Jews from Jerusalem and also pilgrims from other areas. And so when Jesus says to them, I am the light of the world, he is saying that he is God manifested, that he is God incarnate. And family, listen, this is, this is the message of Christmas. This is why we celebrate Christmas, because the Son of God is present with us, his creation, even in the midst of our darkness. There's a quote that I love that says, the light of Christ is the brightness of God shining on the retina of the human soul. The light of Christ is the brightness of God shining on the retina of the human soul. Oh, if we could embrace that message during a dark year and in some dark seasons for many of us. So Jesus makes this proclamation, I am the light of the world. And then at the end of the verse, he issues a promise. He issues a twofold promise. The first part of the promise, he says, will not walk in darkness. Now, biblically speaking, darkness generally connotes everything that is anti-God. But there's something important here I don't want you to miss. Notice he said, we will not walk in darkness. The Message Bible here says, will not stumble in darkness. In other words, he's not promising that we won't experience darkness. He's just saying that we won't walk in it or stumble in it. Because here's the thing, we can experience darkness but not be defined by it. We can experience darkness, but not be defined by it. Also, there is a difference between a darkness that comes upon us, like 2020 has been for many of us with COVID-19 and the effects of it. There's a difference between a darkness that comes upon us and darkness that we choose, darkness that we're responsible for. Either way, I need you to know this, the enemy doesn't care whether the darkness is our, our willful disobedience or whether the darkness is a, our subtle disregard for God in the daily routine. Because in God's eyes, darkness is darkness. So Jesus is essentially saying that darkness will no longer be a way of life for those who follow him. And if that alone wasn't a big enough blessing, he goes on to say, we'll have the light of life. In other words, not only will we not walk in darkness, but his light will lead and guide our lives. What a blessing. This portion of the promise is essentially a calling to walk in our God-given identity, who we were created to be. This is a calling for you and I to embrace being fully known and fully loved by God. That the fruit of the Spirit that Galatians 5 talks about would not only be evident in our lives, but it would be dominant in our lives. Because it isn't that Jesus contains or brings light and life. Family, Jesus is light and life. 
Therefore, with, without Jesus, we are both dead and in darkness. We're lost. And we weren't created to live like this. We weren't created to exist that way. And so the light of life shows you and I how to walk in him and how to love God, as the scripture says, with all our heart, soul, and our strength, and to love our neighbors. It even helps us to love our enemies. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How we need this in times like today, in years like 2020. We need the light and the life that Jesus brings to guide us so that we won't act out of our flesh, so that we won't respond to the culture, so that, but that we would influence the culture with the light and the light, with the life and the light of Christ. So in John chapter 8, verse 12, we see both a proclamation and a promise. But there's something missing because many of us, we're familiar with the proclamation, but we're not living out the promise. And that brings me to my final point today, which is at the center of the verse when he says, whoever follows me. And family, I believe that this is the bridge between the proclamation and the promise. Jesus said, whoever follows me. Now, this invitation to discipleship is essentially a call to renounce darkness and to choose light. It is a call away from one thing or way of living to another. But let me be clear here. When I say participation, what I'm referring to is surrender. Because the first step in participating in God's plan is surrendering our own. Following Christ means forsaking fellowship with the darkness that honestly we've become familiar with and comfortable in. It requires that you and I choose to trust in the light of life. I'll tell you why this is key. This is key because Jesus suffered, bled, died, and rose, not just for us to celebrate him during one season of the year, but so that you and I would follow him and that we would allow the light of life to guide us through every season of our lives. But here's something else that happens when we trust in the light and the light begins to show up in our situations. Remember that dark story that I referred to in the beginning when I was in a dark space, physically and mentally and emotionally? Here's how that ended. As I was becoming increasingly hopeless, the smoke eventually began to lift and the light began to appear. But here's the great part. As the light began to appear, the truth of my situation was revealed. And the truth was, I wasn't in a confined space. I wasn't trapped as I thought. I wasn't in a closet as I believed to be. I was in a bedroom. Problem was, there was no light. I couldn't see my way out. But guess what else showed up when the light appeared? Hope showed up. Encouragement showed up. Direction and clarity showed up. 
And what I came to understand, all of these things represented the grace of God on my life. Because you know, like I do, that not everybody in dark situations makes it out. So not only did the truth show up with the light, but so did God's grace. So listen, whether the darkness we're currently experiencing has come upon us, independent of us, or it was chosen by us, Christ's light can penetrate it. Christ's light can penetrate whatever darkness we find ourselves in today. And so before we close our time together, I want to ask you a couple of questions. The first question is this. What areas of darkness are keeping you from following him? What areas of darkness are keeping you from living out the promise that Christ had for us? What is it that's keeping you from, from, from living out your true identity, your true calling in Christ? And then secondly, are you willing to accept the light of his truth and his grace in spite of the darkness that you may be struggling with? Because what I've come to understand that, that, that walking with God is, is not about perfection. It's about progress. It's about surrendering our plan, our way to his and walking with him and allowing the light of life to lead and guide us into more truth and into more grace. So I want you to reflect on that as we, as we head into Christmas. Because I believe that the world will be a much better place the more you and I examine the things that are keeping us from following him. The more you and I choose to allow the light of life to lead and guide us the more we walk out who God intended and created for us to be. There's a quote that I love that a pastor friend of mine shared recently, and it says this. It says, Jesus willingly entered the darkness so that we could live in the light of his presence forever. He took on, he entered, he carried the darkness for us. So we don't have to bear that burden anymore. All we have to do is trust in the finished work of Christ and allow his light, his grace, and his truth to guide us. What child is this? Jesus, the light of the world. To God be the glory. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we thank you so much that you love us so much that you not only proclaimed that you are the light of the world, you invited us to follow you, to behold the promises of not walking in darkness and being led and guided by the light of life. So God, we pray that you would give us an awareness of the things in us that represent darkness then we pray, God, that you would give us the boldness and the courage and the faith to renounce those dark areas, and to trust you, to follow you, to surrender our plans for yours. 
that our lives would bear fruit that would draw others to the light, your light that shines in and through us. God, we also pray for those around us that may be in dark seasons right now. We pray, God, that just as you've done it for many of us, your light, your truth, and your grace would show itself mighty and strong. That you would bring direction and encouragement and hope to those that are hopeless, to those that are discouraged. And so we pray, God, that even in times that are dark in our lives, that you would help us to remember that you're always present with us and that this is the message of Christmas, to not be celebrated during one season, but to be celebrated all the days of our lives. So we thank you, God, for your faithfulness, for your love, and your grace. And we honor you because you're truly worthy of all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen.
the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore him, Jesus, the light of the world. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today, New City family. If you would, extend your hands for a benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance to you and give you peace. Merry Christmas, New City.